Kia ora, my name is Mark Easterbrook and you're listening to Going West Audio. For your enjoyment, education and inspiration, we've opened up our archives, queued up the tapes and unearthed the best oratory, discussion and performance from 25 years of the Going West Writers' Festival. In this episode from 2001, one of our most treasured poets, Alan Curnow, in his final appearance at Going West, reading his poems Ten Steps to the Sea and Fantasia and Fugue for Panpipe. Kurnow is introduced by poet Glenn Colhoun, who also reads Kurnow's Wild Iron. This recording is published by kind permission of Tim Kurnow. It's always an immense privilege to be able to offer to the Going West audience a reading by Alan Kurnow. Um, I won't bother going into any biographical material about Alan because I'm sure he is well known to all of you and there are notes in your folder. It's also a pleasure to ask one of our younger poets, Glenn Colhoun, who won the Montana New Poetry Award last year, to introduce Alan Curnow to you. Thank you very much. Kia ora, everyone. Um, I want to say, first of all, a, bit, a very big thank you to Murray and Naomi for the Going West Festival. I've been coming here for a number of years, way before I got any um, poetry published. And for me, it's one place I come, have always come to be fed. I don't come from a literary background at all, um, but I always used to secret myself away down the back corner and listen to the fabulous stories that people told um, about where I came, where I come from. And uh, every time I come, I'm fed for about two months afterwards and inspired by the stories. Um, I love the stories of old writers. Um, as a younger writer, and I don't know, I don't presume to speak for anyone else, but some of these guys and some of the women who have written are only known to me through books and through their stories. And I think particularly at Going West, they're brought alive in a way that I've, I've never seen done before. And it's fascinating. It concerns me um, that they're all sort of very intense people and I wonder if I'm happy if I'm sort of too happy to be a writer um, <laughs> some of the dark stories that keep coming out I noticed that Alan's talk was called postprandial poetry and uh, I can think of nothing better for dessert than putting a poem in your mouth so I'm going to recite you a poem that I learnt um, as a boy and I've written it down in case I forget it sea go dark, dark with wind, feet go heavy, heavy with sand, thoughts go wild, wild with the sound of iron on the old shed swinging, clanging, go dark, go heavy, go wild, go round, Wild, like the iron that clings to the nail and the foundering shriek of the gale. Alan Curnow is a man who holds within his arm spans the history of modern New Zealand poetry. And sometimes that's big enough. Sometimes size does matter. Sometimes longevity deserves respect just because of the time that it is spent and the stories that it contains. And if that was reason enough, it's a good idea to celebrate Alan Curnow this afternoon. Beyond that, 
He has also written a body of work that tells stories about what it's like to be a New Zealander during his career, which is still carrying on. He has helped to define New Zealand poetry, caused, when I start to read his work and reviews, lots of arguments through the years, upset people, got people talking, made people think. This is another reason for respect. Within that body of work that stretches for 70 years, there is a clutch, for me, of songs that will still be sung in a hundred years, and in two hundred years, and in three hundred years, which as a young poet is all that I ask for. At the rate Alan's going, I almost suspect that he will be alive then to read some of them. He has helped to define the angst of a culture. Not I, some child born in a marvellous year, will learn the trick of standing upright here. In time, our generations will be remembered for New Zealanders who come down the line by some of his words. And for this, we honour him this afternoon. Murray asked me to introduce him and I, I, I felt it a great privilege. Murray said to me, it would be nice to have a young poet introduce an older poet. He said, it would be nice, so to speak, for one person to hand the torch over to the other. I have to say that in a year that Alan has won another national award for his poetry, Murray, I'm afraid the old bugger won't let go of the torch. <laughs> um, I'm going back to rubbing my sticks together to make some fire, I, I suspect. In a week where some of our great icons have fallen down, I give you someone who is still standing and may I stay still standing upright here, Alan Kernow. Well, I hope I can be as good as my welcome. Thank you very much. It seemed a, uh, a perhaps rather risky thing to do to uh, publish a new collection of pretty new poems uh, in, uh, well, first in February this year, uh, and, but I did it because the poems were there and uh, they had all been written since, um, since 1997 when the last previous collection appeared. And so uh, they are really fairly new. So what I thought I'd do was to read the, uh, the first one in this quite small collection of poems, a dozen poems, uh, to read the first one and the last one. The first one uh, perhaps has uh, echoes, of, um, echoes in its uh, subject of a number of poems related to this West Coast and uh, related, in fact, rather directly uh, to walking down Lone Kauri Road to the to the beach, uh, which is uh, a very very familiar walk to me, uh, just about exactly one mile, uh, and uh, this um, there are one or two poems that I say which follow that kind of uh, design. That's their subject, but this is another one. It's called Ten Steps to the Sea. 
Uh, the, the steps are nowhere marked out as ten that I know of, except in the poem, which consists of ten very brief uh, sections. <clears throat> ten steps to the sea. Repeat this experience willfully. Instruct this experience to repeat itself. With or without vicarious detail for all verities of this place, me too. Plenty of that already. Kikuyu grass underfoot, thunderheads, purple patched sunshine offshore, onshore, the high dunes, the hollows of wetted sand, rabbit shit, foot of a cliff, arm of a stream, where fallen yellow bloom degrades. September sickness, El Nino weather. One wild white arum leans landward a little, round which in its pool, drip-fed off a slimed rock face, is arranged the sky for inspection. A remark for the rising sun. I see by what blinds me. Telling us about his cancer, he said, they can control the pain till there's, well, really no pain, but then there's no reality. He said, I try to balance the two, as little pain as possible, as much reality as possible. One moment before that cloud bursts and the flash flood swipes, I'm across safely, seeing stringers, planks, gadarening down into the tide which rises to receive them. There goes our bridge. How the upstream railing splintered the deck duck-diving, you'd never know now. Good as new. The pain is the dog not heeding the whistle on account of seeing a rabbit or an old turd, his own possibly, all sniffing ashes of a Sunday campfire because of the slab and the grate provided there. Will he follow? Up and over the sand hills, not much help in the sea's habitual heave Sprawl, grumble, hiss. In reality, no. A step in the right direction. The pain is this wind which blows the whole time uncontrollably in your face. This poem, which is the concluding one of the 12 of the bells of um, 
The Bells of St. Babel's is the title of the little book. <clears throat> and this poem I've called Fantasia and Fugue for Panpipe. And it has a good deal about Pan in it. Uh, Pan is not the uh, shaggy um, um, uh, creature with, um, uh, with um, goat's horns and hooves uh, and a passion for beautiful nymphs not always successfully pursued. Uh, he, he was an Arcadian, uh, an ancient Arcadian Greek god. But he is also the god of universal nature, the whole of the physical universe. In fact, we all know what we mean by pan this and pan that. He is everything, he is all. In fact, by the third century, the third century AD, an early Christian bishop and historian, the famous Eusebius, identified him with Jesus Christ. And that all came about through a story that Plutarch set going in the first century AD about how a strange voice was heard in the Greek, among the Greek islands uh, calling out uh, great Pan is dead. Now, this has other implications because there is a personal aspect to this poem, as you will find out. <clears throat> Fantasia and fugue for panpipe. Engaged too long, too chastely, was that it? Anyway, she broke it off. My father wrote pan earliest verse of his to make it into print over his name. The god revealed as Tremaine M. Syrinx as Maud. Twenty-odd pages further on, more forgotten poems between his lines and hers called Song, both plaintively for lovelorn obscurely set down between Oceanian winds and waters, New Zealand verse, Walter Scott publishing London, New York, 196, safe distances for blushing unseen, big breaths unheard, oh cruel nymph not unwritten, and much more, his drift of low-blown music the words, the lips, the pipes, who love thee still. So eavesdropping nature guessed, or his poem supposes. Maud chips in, crying over spilt joyous youth gone in a night. Her feral horned gods hind parts wore clerical grey serge, irreversibly decent disguise. Afterwards, not long, that traveller came by, he took her with a sigh, his, hers, or theirs. Had a hand groped, grabbed, come away with a moist fistful to play black whole tunes, the ones Pan Pistol whips the galaxies with. Terrified mind whines to itself, don't panic, don't answers the hoof beat, 
Words for things, things back again off the tips of tongues. Lost names. Try not to think about that. One world war later, not anymore the slender reed. Fifty-something syrinx drops in on one newlywed son of Pan. I see her, to my not small surprise, seat herself heavily down on the foot of the bed. Hands compress the ball of a hanky, damp from dabbing tear ducts. Someone said she tells fortunes in tea shops, the dregs of emptied cups, to make ends meet. More tea? Quick look at her watch. Oh, thank you, no. I'm running late. I really must go. One lizard's wink. Two thousand years rounded out since Jesus called out with the loud voice. It was all over. That louder voice downloads this Greek seaway hears. Great Pan is dead. What could be figured? Who's fingered now? And why's it got so suddenly dark? Nothing but those four words themselves. Nobody spoke. Printed now like Tremaine's, Maud's, mine. Rolled up the beach in a bottle. Rolled back into the surf. Hoofprints in soft and softening sand. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Going West Audio. You can subscribe to the podcast and our regular updates at goingwestfest.co.nz.